Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. So today I am delighted to be bringing Shannon Plummer back for a second part of this conversation. If you listened to last week's show, then you heard Shannon and I talking about what it was like for her as a highly sensitive empathic person who developed anorexia in many ways to cope with being so sensitive and her own journey to wellness which then led her to being a transformational health and wellness practitioner and educator. And so last time we talked about her story, her journey, how she was led to becoming a practitioner. And then we got into the really, really juicy topic of what it means to be a meat eater, particularly in a culture that says things like empaths can't eat meat. So if you haven't gone and listened to this conversation, please do yourself a favor and go over and listen to it now. It is so, so good. But I really wanted to bring Shannon back because one of the things that if you've listened to much of my content and my material, you know that I am a strong proponent for abstaining from sugar that in my experience, sugar is one of the most potent things to avoid. And Shannon is an expert on this. And so I am so excited to bring Shannon back to talk about why we need to be so mindful of our, of our diet and how deeply it affects not only our body, but also our mind. So Shannon, thank you so much for coming back and having this conversation with me. And for backing me up on my on this on this thing that I feel so 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 strongly about. Oh, thank you for having me back again, and I will back you up all day. It's uh, I'm super as passionate about it as you are, and um, I'm just happy to be here and and really excited to talk about this topic. Awesome. Okay, so sugar. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about sugar. Okay, well, I'll tell you, um, the primary thing that I do with my clients first off is balance their blood sugar. It's, it's really the, after our first session, they walk away with, you know, an eating plan and, uh, you know, their sort of, you know, uh, marching orders, right? And what that is, is balancing their blood sugar it causes so many, it is, it is a huge stress on the body, first of all. I would even say one of the biggest stressors on the body, and people don't even realize that their blood sugar is so out of balance until they do something completely different and, feels, and feel what it's like to have balanced blood sugar. And so, um, you know, how they do that is, you know, in my work, you know, eating for their metabolic type, balancing those macronutrient ratios, the fat, the um, non-starchy carbohydrate, and the protein, whatever that macronutrient ratio is for them. And it just, within days, 
people will notice a significant difference. And that's all we've done is balance blood sugar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so if we're going to talk about sugar, we need to include everything that's sugar. We're not just talking about cakes and cookies and bread and, you know, things like that. Sugar is everywhere, everywhere, is everywhere. in our country. And in fact, manufacturers put it in food to make it more palatable because people in our country won't eat things that don't have a sweet component oftentimes. You'll taste it in salad dressing even. Oh, yes. Or, yes. you know, soups, anything mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. you know, um, it will be added. So to become a label reader is, you know, one of the steps. And, you know, your fruit, your grains, your dairy, <laughs> your um, root vegetables. I mean, all of these things contain sugar. And it's not just about the brownies and the cakes and the cookies and the, the things that you typically think of as sweet. Um, from, in my experience with my clients, the reason why most of my clients come back typed as a similar metabolic type to myself where, you know, little bit of starchy, non-starchy carbohydrate is because we're an over-sugared society. Absolutely. And we need to bring it back around. And so, and to realize, you know, the health detriment of sugar. I mean, they're now in my neck of the woods, um, consider Alzheimer's type three diabetes you know, that it is that powerful, a, a toxic substance, really. I have never heard this yet. And it's so fascinating because I was having a conversation with somebody just the other day about interventions for Alzheimer's. And interestingly, they are they themselves are, you know, there's a history of dementia in their family, and yet they are and they know better, but they've been struggling with their sugar addiction. And I can certainly say that I've, you know, in the case of, of my parents, you know, I, I've absolutely, especially with my mother, my mom has had a sugar addiction her entire life. And when we started treating her for her chronic Lyme, it came out that there was definitely blood sugar issues and prediabetes stuff going on. And yet she has lived on a low fat, high carbohydrate diet her entire life. And the thing is, my mom is built like you in the sense of she's extremely slender. She's never, she's just, she's a very, very vata physical type where she's just very slender. I think that after her, you know, like an after pregnancy weight, like the highest she's ever weighed in her entire life, maybe 130 pounds. And, you know, so, so like nobody would ever peg her as being somebody who has a problem with her diet. And yet, you know, she, wow. And it's so interesting. Um, vata, you know, Vata type, and this is, we're talking about Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic. Um, doshas here. Uh, vata types, if you think about it, they need grounding. Sugar for vatas are the, is the worst <laughs> because we're light already, right? We, we don't have a lot of grounding uh, sub, substance to ourselves. 
And that's a way to use food as a healing tool. Food is used to, or in ancient you know, cultures, was used to ground the body, balance the body, lighten the body. That's what it was used for. And that's you know, how we hate to whether use the word should, but <laughs> the way it would be more helpful to ourselves and our families if we used food in that way. In, you know, as a balancing tool. And so, um, you know, I would even say that, you know, we tend, because I've heard people say, oh, my blood sugar's low or something like this. Blood sugar is significant. It is a significant health issue mm -hmm. because just balancing your blood sugar, if you did nothing else, you would be so much better than where you are right now. And a lot of people don't even know how to do that. Right. Um, you know, so, um, but the key to balancing blood sugar really is to eliminate the sugar. That's number one. Yes. And then to bring in, you know, the fat and the animal protein and then some, you know, we need our, our non-starchy veggies, you know, uh, to make it, you know, kind of a whole um, balanced um, meal. Um, some need more than others. Mm -hmm. But if you get the sugar out for four days, you will notice a significant difference. My clients come back, you know, after just one week, oftentimes they'll text me after three days I can't believe how different I feel. I don't even recognize this body. If we can get past the habit of sugar, because oftentimes that's what it is, and you're craving sugar because your, sugar's un your blood sugar is unbalanced. So once you balance that blood sugar, you don't have those cravings anymore. Right. And, you know, experientially, it's good to try it in your own body and to feel what it would feel like to have balanced blood sugar and not to think about food all the time, not to crave sugar all the time. I mean, that's annoying to me <laughs> to yeah. when's my next meal? When's my next, you know, thing? I don't, even though I'm a food practitioner, I don't like to think about food all the time. I, I, I preach. I am so there with you. And when I, I, you know, I experienced, I believe that I was struggling with gut dysbiosis and, you know, and so I also believe that the other thing that contributes to sugar cravings is not just, um, not just our blood sugar issues, but also when we have yeast overgrowth in our system that the yeast wants to survive and wants us to feed it carbohydrates. And um, I grew up experiencing hungry horrors my entire life. I was constantly hungry. You know, there was no such thing as feeling full. There was no such thing as feeling satisfied. I was in a state of if I had finished eating, I was thinking about when the next meal was going to be happening because I was starving all the time. And I believe that for me, that had to do with a broken gut that was not able to assimilate. And part of what we talked about in the last episode about being highly sensitive and empathic when we cannot absorb or process negativity, we shut down our ability to receive. And so as a result, it may seem strange, but it affects our body's ability to absorb nutrients and nourishment. 
So even though I was eating a lot of food, I was constantly starving and hungry. It wasn't until I was in my late 30s, early 40s, when I experienced relief from, from being hungry, like true relief from being hungry for the first time in my life. And it was the most liberating experience I've ever had. And I know that for people when they have never experienced not having food cravings, the idea of giving up sugar is so horrifying because it's like you're going to just chew your arm off to get out of the trap. But what I will say from my own personal experience is that when you get over that Jones and the hump, that there's a period, I'm not going to lie about it, and I doubt you would either, that there is something so liberating about being free from hunger and free from obsessing about food all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that happened for me probably, oh, maybe five years ago or so, um, where I just, I, I truly do eat, you know, for fuel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't really think about food that much. And, and you think that I'm, you know, you may think that I'm a really good cook and I'm not actually, I'm, I'm very simple <laughs> and I know what balances my body. And it just, to me, it's, it is such, you put it so well, it's such a relief just not to really think about food yeah. and that's balanced blood sugar. That is balanced blood sugar. And what an incredible difference. So I'm curious, when somebody is trying to balance their blood sugar, do you recommend something like a glucometer or, you know, any kind of blood sugar tracking? Um, I know I tried working with a glucometer, but I found that when you're talking about the micro numbers, that the range on most glucometers is wide enough that I never could get an accurate reading. So... Yeah, I actually don't often recommend a glucometer because I, again, I, I don't want it to be information out there. Mm -hmm. I want it to be information in their body. Right. And so that's where, you know, I use, you know, in my case, the body, mind, food log, mm -hmm. because I, I give them, you know, a place to start is, you know, some protein, some fat, a little bit of non-starchy carbohydrates, you know, whatever your metabolic type is, just start there. Like get the sugar out of your diet, including, you know, root vegetables and grains and things. Yes. Start with- And legumes little, too. And legumes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so literally like I'll give an example meal just so we can, yeah. you know, have something to talk about. <laughs> right. Um, let's do a chicken thigh you know, and, um, let's do some, some greens all sauteed in some ghee and, um, you know, maybe some people, maybe half of an avocado, some people, maybe a half of a half, a fourth of an avocado and try that for breakfast, you know, and then just an hour later, just kind of sit and feel how you feel. And it's not that initially you're not going to want the chocolate or want the thing that you normally have after, you know, as a reward for, you know, mm -hmm. eating a meal or something. Mm -hmm. um, but just kind of tune into your body and see how it 
it feels. And so, because that's where I find the, the real magic is, is when, when we bring the information inside, um, you know, a glucometer can be helpful just to sort of like, you know, um, gauge it over time. But I really, the real healing for me is, you know, inside the body and making that mind body connection. Like, Oh, I don't, I am, I'm not hungry. Oh, I'm not tired. I'm not confused and have brain fog and, Oh, I'm not craving something else to eat. Those are big indicators that blood sugar was not balanced. Right. And if right. you eat a meal, like I just talked about, there's a good chance that that will start it in motion. You know, it's not going to, you know, fix overnight, but start with meals like that, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and start to feel that sense of, wow, I feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it occurs to me, this is something I've noticed that I just wanted to make a comment about in terms of label reading that I, I've noticed that some people will read the stats, you know, in the sense of they'll read like the um, grams of sugar or something in it, but they won't read the ingredients. And what I've personally noticed is that it's really imperative that when you read a label, you don't just look at the, you know, the, the net carbs, but that you also really read the actual ingredients that are in something. And so I don't know if you've noticed that sometimes people will only read part of a label, but what I've found is that in order to get the whole picture, we really must read both the ingredients and the section of the label that's saying how many net carbs are in it, as well as obviously to look at the portion size that is suggested. And you know, if you're looking at a candy bar or something, and it's like, and the candy bar is two and a half servings. When you read that net carb thing, you are talking about a small part of that bar, not the entire thing. So just, just a note, thing I've noticed. Um, so let's just talk about, you know, for people who this is, this whole concept is brand spanking new. And you and I are, are talking about something that's, and it's really funny because my dinner last night was chicken thigh with green beans, which is really going out on the edge, um, you know, green beans saute or um, steamed in uh, chicken thigh broth with like a ton of chicken fat on it. And Yum. that was pretty much my dinner. So, oh, and then my fat version was the chicken skin put in under the broiler and crisped up. So, but um, a woman after my own heart, you and I are right on the same page for sure. So, Let's talk about specifically when you are talking about non-starchy carbohydrates, can you give some examples of the kind of things, the kind of vegetables that we are talking about that are, are preferred? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, that's super important. Things like um, asparagus, things like cauliflower, um, broccoli, um, your leafy greens. Um, mushrooms, uh, you know, things like that. When I, those are, if you think about, those are things that grow above the ground, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, um, things that grow beneath the ground, like sweet potatoes, regular potatoes, carrots, parsnips, 
those are all on root vegetables and onions below, too and onions too absolutely they grow below the ground so things that grow below the ground are generally higher in starch mm -hmm. and so you just want to be mindful of them yeah. um so you know when we're, when i say non-starchy veggies that's what I'm, I'm talking about those things that generally grow above the ground they're more your greens and um, the broccolis and the cauliflower and things like that. What about um, the savory fruits? What about things like zucchini, tomato, cucumber? Um, mm -hmm. You know, where do you fall on that? What do you? Well, I fall on that seasonally, you know. Right there with you, sister. <laughs> yes. It's like, why eat a tomato in November? <laughs> a tomato is not a tomato in November. It is, a, it is, it is, I don't know. It's, it's. I, it's an, I don't know. <laughs> what I'm is like, it? <laughs> it's an aberration of, of like, it is just, it's no, that is not real food. Yeah. And I think it's fine to do those things, you know, like when they're in season. Yeah. I myself here in New Mexico, like peaches in the summer, you know, yeah. like amazing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to also live in concert with, you know, what's available like that is a piece of health too. Um, if I was going to eat a peach, I'd probably also eat some fat with it <laughs> because, yeah. because I have such sensitive blood sugar. And for me, even a peach will just make me feel kind of confused and not really well. So um, even if you could find some raw cream, have a, a half of a peach and whip up some raw cream or something. Right. Well, and they don't call it peaches and cream for nothing. That's you know, right. There's a reason for that. Yeah, I am also that sensitive to sugar. And I really started to discover how fruit impacted me when I had done a very careful elimination diet a number of years ago. I ate one apple, I gained five pounds overnight. Mm -hmm. You know, and I went, this is, and no, no other changes in the diet. Not like I was suddenly increasing the calories. And I was like, I really started to grasp just how, despite the fact that we live in a culture that, that like, I don't know, like worships fruit, like fruit is considered so healthy. And my mom, you know, God bless my mom. I'm sort of airing her dirty laundry in this episode. But, um, you know, my mother was a strong believer in fruit. My mother was a massive fruit eater. And Everything she was taught, eat low fat, high, you know, eat low fat, lots and lots of fruit. And, you know, I just, I think about what she, what she did because she was a nurse. And so she grew up in and was raised in the allopathic healing world. And so she just did what she was taught to do mm -hmm. and it did not serve her well. And yeah. I love the topic of fruit. <laughs> It's one of my favorites because um, poor fruit, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's sugar. It is and sugar. the whole smoothie, I don't know if you get this too, Jen, like smoothies and um, these. <laughs> I got, I, that was when I realized, I actually, it was, I was consuming a huge, like quart of green smoothie a day. And when I started to really develop insulin resistance as a result of eating a raw vegan diet, I started to have this experience of drinking a smoothie in the morning. And it was usually like strawberries and spinach and maybe a cucumber thrown in. So we're not even talking high glycemic fruit. 
I would have this blood sugar crash about two hours later where I would feel so sick, I felt like I was going to pass out. Mm -hmm. And I had to avoid fruit entirely for about five years before my body was able to tolerate like now in the summertime, I live on land where we have wild strawberries, we have blueberries, we've got wild blackberries growing, like I've got mm -hmm. blackberry brambles everywhere and raspberries. And so I can have like in the summer, at the peak of summer, when the blackberries have been ripened by the sun, I might eat five or six in a day. And that's my special, like, that's a special treat that I get only at the height of summer. And then personally, I just tend to, you know, like I've had like maybe one, like a quarter of an apple in a day, like once in a month, because it's like it's apple season right now. But I, oh my God, am I on the same page with you about fruit? Yeah, it's just, I mean, you know, because the argument is they're full of um, vitamins and minerals and things that, that, that we need. They're all, it's also full of sugar. You right, know? right, right. And so um, we can get those, you know, those nutrients through our non-starchy veggies and and even you know meat has antioxidants in it as well don't forget about that and so our fruit is you know if if fruit is chosen it is better to choose like the berries and things like that um, because fruit is for people who have blood sugar issues which most of us do um, it's just like the body doesn't recognize there's no difference between a brownie and a banana. There's really no difference. I mean, the, the brownie might have more um, icky stuff in it. <laughs> right, right, right. In terms Although, of sugar. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but this was something that was life-changing for me that I learned that my naturopath explained, I think it was my naturopath explained to me a number of years ago, actually there is a difference in that fructose does not cause the body to produce insulin. Whereas all other sugars make the body produce insulin. So fruit is actually more harmful to the system because if your body is, if you are not exercising off or moving rapidly enough, when you eat fruit, you pull the sugar in your bloodstream and your body does not compensate by producing insulin to try to balance it. So if you eat a brownie, even though it's crap, your body will produce insulin in response. If you just eat a lot of fruit, your body basically builds up an incredible amount of blood sugar and does not compensate with insulin. And over time, you develop da, 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 <laughs> insulin resistance, which is what happened to me. Because I was eating right. a raw vegan diet, eating like handfuls of dates and, um, you know, and smoothies and like, and God bless the raw vegans who are, who are living on the 80-10-10. I mean, I'm just like... God bless that diet for anybody. I'm so glad it works for some people for, for a period of time. And it nearly, you know, eating a high fruit diet really did a number on my body. But anyway, so yeah. I don't know if you had ever heard that part of it, but that for me was like, holy shit, I have to stop eating fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. You're, you're 100% right. Yeah. Yes. I, I misspoke when I said that because it's true. It's like, and think about that. Like you're actually doing yourself more, more damage harm. eating yeah. the fruit. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's funny. I mean, I think that speaks to sort of like we grow up with these rules yeah. and we never question them. 
you know, like fruit is good for you. Right. Or what's that? The commercial got milk or whatever that was. Oh God. Yeah. Got milk. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, you know, um, we, we, it's good to become more self responsible when it comes to what we're putting in our bodies, because the information on the TV and the radio and the magazines, you know, they're just trying to, you know, sell their thing. And so when we start to really um, own, you know, that we are responsible for our health and, you know, that's another whole topic of our healthcare system and really taking your own, because I mean, I don't want to end up in the care of the Western medical system. And so I make choices today that are going, you know, that are going to affect my health even, you know, 20 years from now. So it's, you know, to have that self-responsibility and to know what makes you feel better and what makes you feel worse. And if you know something makes you feel bad, don't eat it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and, you know, one of the things I've also noticed is that it's so important not only to pay attention to the physical symptoms, but to pay attention to the mental and emotional symptoms. A number of years ago, um, my husband and I had gone out to dinner and I had had, it was, I, I mean, it was like we had gone to a sushi place. I literally had, I was, I was eating a very clean diet at the time. So I literally had an undressed salad and, um, and some raw fish, you know, so you would think that that wouldn't be that big a deal. Now, I'm sure that there was some mercury within the fish that was probably impacting me. But what I realized um, I, but within an hour of being, of leaving the restaurant, I went into this black mood, like just like horrible mood. I became agitated, irritated, annoyed, angry, frustrated, pissed off. And it wasn't until I had a conversation with another person who was really sensitive to food where we were talking about the impact. And I don't know how I even put it together, but the impact of the preservatives that they put on the lettuce and they put on the salads in a lot of the restaurants. And what I realized was that this was a place that basically drenches all of their greens and their vegetables in these preservatives so that they will last over the course of the entire night. And being as sensitive as I am, because I imagine your experience is like this too, that you know, being highly sensitive and empathic usually means we're insensitive in all areas of our life. And for me, food is one of the big ones, but it was so mind blowing to go. I would not have necessarily registered that this is a food reaction, you know, in terms of, I was just suddenly just emotionally inflamed, you know, and, and yet it it wasn't a physical symptom. It was an emotional symptom. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, um, we can talk about the, gut brain connection. Yes. Gut brain access. I was hoping we could talk about that. Yeah. It's like, it's so important to realize that when we eat, we're not only affecting our physical body, we're affecting our emotional body as well. That's why it's so important for us as empathic people to really have our, you know, because food is a big one. It's, something we put in our body every single day. So it is pushing us in one direction 
or the other toward health or not <laughs> every single day. And so, you know, it, it does cause like physical symptoms, but then you also have, have you ever experienced that where, you know, you, you know, you're, you kind of have a crummy day and, you know, you're come home and you're like, I'm just going to sit down and get my pint of Ben and Jerry's out of the freezer and just going to sit in the TV and watch. And so in the moment that feels really good because it's a distraction. Yes. But the minute it, you know, it goes into your belly and how long does that last? Maybe 15 minutes when that experience is over then you're left with probably a gurgly belly and you're bloated. You're also more depressed yeah. or anxious or whatever the feeling was that caused you to do it in the first place. Mm -hmm. That feeling is now increased yes. because what happens in your gut happens in your brain. Yes. And so not only the reason to take care of our health and to eat foods that bring us toward greater wellness, not only for our physical body, but for our mental health, depression, anxiety, um, you know, any of those mind uh, things that we all experience, fog, brain fog, foggy thinking, forgetfulness, all of it. That's why when I referred to Alzheimer's as type three diabetes, that's why. Mm -hmm. is because mm -hmm. it affects the brain. Most of our neurotransmitters are actually made in the gut. Mm -hmm. And so it has, it's a very uh, streamlined communication system. <laughs> so, I mean, why would that be? Why would it be where you sit down, eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's? I, I you know, I'm curious if anyone has not experienced, oh, they get a lot more tired or they get a lot more depressed or you know, again, to feel it in your own body. And I think we can all remember times like that. And it's just proof of that brain uh, gut connection. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think about, you know, for me, the vicious cycle with sugar was that I would eat candy, I would get elated I would be just in this state of just like, I would be like a six-year-old. I would be so happy and joyful and just in this state of just pure candy bliss. Mm -hmm. And then for me, it was about, I don't know, it could take as much as an hour before I started to dip down. And then cumulatively, it would get worse and worse and worse for me. And what would start to happen was I would go from, being in the mood that I was in that provoked the decision to eat the candy in the first place to within six to eight hours of consumption of that, I was in such a dark mood. And I found that it really distorted my empathic awareness and caused me to see the world through a glass darkly. So I was far more likely to be tapping into El Mundo Mal, like to the really dark world and, and aware of like nuclear annihilation and the world going to hell in a handbasket. And I could not tap into vibrant health and the thriving energy on the planet. All I had access to was the darkest of dark, like almost like demonic forces that whenever, you know, and so what I noticed for myself was that 
it gives you that bright spike of elation at the beginning, but the price of what it does in the long run is just, for me, it's just not worth it at all. And just so yeah. powerful. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, that's really why I do the work I do because I know that dark place too, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that is what I have found and nothing is worth that to me anymore. No, I, I, I've been there. I know what takes me there. And so, you know, we, we spoke a little bit of, um, a little bit about tools, um, to kind of shore up because it's, it's beautiful to be an empathic person. We are really needed on the planet. We are, you know, our energy is needed here and all the things that we bring to the planet, we create. We also need to have really good um, protective tools. And food is such a simple one, but so powerful because it is that powerful. It can take you from really high to really low very quickly. And to know and to actually do those things in support of ourselves, you know, rather than doing things that, you know, we know are in detriment to ourselves and we're like, oh, well, you know, I'll deal with it tomorrow or whatever. But to really put in place those practices in your life, food being a big one, that sort of kind of balances you and makes you grounded and sure and clear and helps you to bring your gift to the world, really. Oh, uh, preach. <laughs> you, you know, this, oh, such a good conversation. I just, I, I'm so, this is such an incredibly important conversation. And, and I know, you know, when people, when I start talking with people about, about being highly sensitive and empathic and sharing the, the empathic mastery system, I will often say, you know, we have to look, you know, the place to start is looking at your food. Because the other piece of it is no amount of energetic exercises, no amount of visualization, no amount of strategic boundary setting is necessarily going to protect you and shore you up if you are consuming foods that are causing damage to your gut. And if you are consuming foods that are causing, causing harm to your blood sugar, it's like we must address this physical elephant in the middle of the room and do something different if we actually want to have not only vibrant physical health, but vibrant mental, emotional, spiritual, and empathic health. I love this conversation because this is the kind of conversation that I want to have and help other people to hear it too, is that really our whole view of health, what is it, is so important and it's so it's about so many things and it is not going to you know a doctor and getting a prescription and just treating the symptom of what is coming up health really is you know your how you respond to stress what food you're putting in your body how much water are you drinking how much are you moving your body these are things that are going to contribute to a body that's well. And, um, you know, leak, you mentioned, um, you know, healing our gut. This is a big thing these days because of the lifestyle we live. That's why our guts, I don't have a client yet that doesn't have 
leaky gut to some extent. Mm -hmm. And the reason is the high stress, which creates high cortisol, which breaks down your mucosal barrier of your gut. It's eating these foods that we are sensitive or allergic to that, you know, once it hits the gut, it breaks down that barrier. That barrier is one cell thick. And so, you know, it's, then it's like the toxins in the food, you know, your gut has to take care of those. <laughs> and so the reason why our mucosal barrier, which, you know, is the leaky gut is breaking down is because of the way we're living our life. And the more um, we can learn to manage our stress, know what foods are good for us and, um, you know, just move our bodies and take care of ourselves, the better off our guts will be and the better off we'll be. And that's healthcare. That is, you know, that's healthcare. That is healthcare. That is healthcare. And it is what it takes for us to be able to fulfill our mission on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is our vehicle. You it know? is. It's our vehicle. And, you know, I know some people who take better, car better care of their cars than they do their body. Mm. You know, it's really like just so important to shift our mindset about what, what health is. And, and I think the self-responsibility part is a piece of that. Many of us don't want to, you know, we don't want to take responsibility. We want someone else to do it. Right. And, and yeah, me too, but you know, it doesn't work that way. Right. <laughs> so well, and, go ahead, Jen. I was going to say, you know, you spoke about something in the previous episode about not having the tools you know, that anorexia was, was the coping mechanism that you, that you had when you had no other tools. And I also, I do really believe that part of the problem is that nobody's being given tools for self-soothing that don't involve a fricking pint of Ben and Jerry's. And, you know, and it's like having resources that allow us to feel grounded and calm and, and, and stable that don't involve Ben and Jerry's, I think, or starving and avoiding Ben and Jerry's, you know, it is a piece of this too, is like, you know, there is that point where it's like having alternative ways of taking care of ourselves is so important. It's so true. And, and yeah. that's what I would say, you know, like, um, when I say managing our stress, it's kind of, you know, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Like learning to say no, you know, for many of us, big deal. Learning what's right for us and making choices in spite of, you know, what someone else might think is right for us. Um, you know, I, I have this image lately that I've been doing myself that I find so helpful that I, you know, I kind of go inside of my, myself, I get quiet and I imagine myself in a room with many, many, many doors around mm. the room and just going and shutting all the doors, you know, all the information that's coming at us all the time mm. and to bring our energy literally consciously shut all the doors in your mind and consciously bring your energy back to yourself. So we're energetically filling ourselves up because 
you know, I'll speak for myself. I tend to leave my energy places, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and to draw it back and to make a choice from that place. Like, do I want to say yes to this engagement or no? Um, Or what food choice am I going to make? I didn't have a great day. Um, You know, it's up to me at this moment. You know, what am I going to choose? And I would say that that is the time to choose something in total support of yourself, like grab an avocado (laughs) or go into your fridge and cut up some celery and put some nut butter on it. Or, you know, make those choices in support of yourself because you know what happens when you go down the other way. And it's like, you know, part of it is just taking a moment and even deciding rather than just habitually doing something mm-hmm. like consciously making a choice what what would be best for me in this moment but you have to stop first kind of yeah and become mindful i'm also thinking that the thing in in having talked with and worked with a number of people around around the strategies with food as myself the thing i've also noticed is that so often people don't plan they they don't think ahead And that a lot of times the reason they end up going for the junk is because they don't have an alternative. And so a part of this is also about being proactive. And like, if you have a bag of macadamia nuts, like macadamia nuts are one of my go-tos when I have got to, when I'm just like on the go, I need to do something and I just need a quick, you know, protein, like fat boost. I will go for just like us, you know, like, an ounce of macadamia nuts. Um, but it, you know, it took me years of like realizing like I had not thought about things and suddenly I really am between a rock and a hard place and I don't have a lot of great choices. And I think that that's another piece of it is just even being proactive in having food in our pantry and having like maybe some sna- something that can tide you over in your glove compartment or, you know, options as opposed to finding yourself struggling to figure out the answer. That's such a good point. And one of my mentors, um, she always said, uh, fail to plan, plan to fail. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, it's so true. <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's almost, it's almost like it's a way for us to self-sabotage too, yeah. that, mm-hmm. you know, because then it's like, well, I couldn't help it. There was nothing else to eat. I had to have that chocolate bar. I had to have that grilled cheese sandwich. I had to go to McDonald's and eat fries, you know, that, that there's that, that way in which when we, when we fail to plan, we give ourselves permission to fail. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, it, and that's a piece of that self-responsibility. It's like, um, yeah, but I didn't go to the store and I didn't, you know, get these things. And I also, you know, I recommend often to my clients to do like therapeutic eating sometimes. Like um, I had a client today who she, she wakes up in the middle of the night hungry because we're still trying to stabilize her blood sugar. So I told her, you know, before bed, I want you to have like this snack. And it was like a, a nut butter kind of snack. Even though you're not hungry, we want to ward off that mm-hmm. blood sugar reaction that you're going to have in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Same thing that you're talking about, like nuts in the purse, you know, like that sort of like that's self care. It is. And, you know, sometimes intentionally eating, like if um, a client has to, you know, 
their work day is not um, in accordance with how they need to eat. Like they might not be hungry in the morning, but to intentionally eat. So we avoid a blood sugar crash in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So it's like bringing in some of these tools and support of yourself. When you know your day looks like X, Y, Z to um, have things in place, to have food on hand, that's going to save you from that panicky place. You know, like I need to eat something. (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, and even that panicky place of, oh my God, I need to eat something is so frequently a sign of the blood sugar being destabilized. And, you know, I, I remember Many, many years ago, when I first started learning to stabilize my diet and eat a good diet, that I, I remember hearing somebody else talking about that, you know, the panic of, oh my God, I'm not eating, it passes. And that there is also that sort of almost like sometimes you just have to take a moment and breathe and realize that you're not going to die just because you didn't have, you, you couldn't shove something into your mouth immediately. And, you know, so even, even if you are hungry, I sometimes find that just giving a moment and just breathing through the craving then allows us to make better choices. But when we respond from that terror of, oh my God, I'm not getting what I need, it's just, it, it's, it, it's such, I mean, this is such a, obviously, this is something you and I are both so profoundly passionate about. And I mean, I could just talk about this for the rest of my life. I imagine you could too. Mm-hmm. It, it's so, so rich and so incredibly important. And it can make such a difference for people, you know, yeah. it's such a simple thing, but, um, but complex in the same, I'd say that in the same breath and people can feel differently by doing these things in support of themselves. And that's, I think, what's so um, the passionate part for me, and I'm sure for you too, Jen, it's like we know to be on one side of it versus the other side of it and how much better people can feel and, and live the life that they really want to live rather than living in this cycle of this continuous um, you know, up and down and emotional and all this stuff. It's like when you get to the other side, you'd never go back. I agree completely. And I also, I know from my personal experience and from certain people I've worked with that, you know, a lot of the things that people even complain about or talk about as being the burden of being highly sensitive and empathic, when you eliminate sugar from your diet, it really substantially decreases that empathic distress. And I, you know, and and yet we are so addicted to sugar in this culture that the idea of giving up sugar for so many people is like, what you want me to, I could never, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the, I could never, (laughs) I can't even count the number of times I've heard. I could never about sugar and about dairy. Interestingly, like cheese and sugar are the two, like, you know, just ridiculous. Um, So Shannon, we have like three minutes before we are on the other side of this whole thing. So obviously we ended up not tapping because this conversation was so rich, so incredibly important. And um, as we sort of wrap up, 
obviously, how can people get in touch with you? But if there's one point, or if you could offer one suggestion, like one simple action somebody could take that would be like where to begin, where to start, what would you suggest? Um, I guess, you know, to make a decision that the way you feel is more important than anything else. And once, you know, we make that decision, then following decisions will be that much easier. And, you know, so from there, it's like, okay, I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to try the, the meal that Shannon talked about in this show. Like, I'm going to try a chicken thigh and some greens and a quarter of an avocado and see and to experiment into in your own body. And then um, if you want to get in touch with me, you know, the best way is probably through my website at shannoncplumber.com. There's a contact me um, tab in the upper right hand corner of my website. And uh, you can contact me through there. I'll get an email and I'll get back in touch with you. That is awesome. So people, if you want to learn more about Shannon and get some help from Shannon, go to shannoncplumber.com. Shannon, thank you so much for being so generous with your time, for being so real, so honest, for sharing such a powerful conversation. I am. And thank you for getting up on the soapbox with me and shouting from the mountaintops. Um, I am so grateful to be able to share this conversation with you. I just, this is so incredibly important. And I think that it, it, it's like, we have got to be talking about this. It's just essential. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed every single minute of it was uh, such a joy to be here. It has been such a joy. So guys, we're coming to the top of the hour. As we come to the end of this week's episode, please pass this show along to friends or family members who are going to find this information helpful or who maybe actually just really need <laughs> to hear this information. Um, even if they're like, especially the friends of yours who are like eating the, uh, you know, like you know what they're eating <laughs> and they just need to learn. So, you know, for anybody who's needing this, please pass the show along. Also, I'd love to hear what's going on for you as a highly sensitive empathic person. I'm always looking for what kind of support empaths are needing right now. So please send your requests and questions to questions at empathicmasteryshow.com. And while you're at it, go visit empathicmasteryshow.com to download your copy of the Empathic Sensitivity Guide.